The Wanderer and His Shadow by Friedrich Nietzsche, 1880. Elements of Revenge The word revenge is said so quickly, it almost seems as if it could not contain more than one root concept and feeling. And so people are still trying to find this root, just as our economists still have got tired of smelling such a unity in the word value and of looking for the original root concept of value. As if all words were not pockets into which now this and now that has been put, and now many things at once. Thus, revenge, too, is now this and now that, and now something very composite. Let us distinguish first that return blow of resistance, which is almost involuntarily reflex executed even against lifeless objects that have harmed us, such as moving machines. The sense of this countermove is to stop the harm by bringing the machines to a halt. Occasionally, the strength of the counterblow must be so strong to succeed in this that it smashes the machine. But where is that too strong to be destructible immediately by an individual? He will nevertheless strike as hard as he can making, as it were, an all-out attempt. One behaves the same way against persons who harm one as long as one feels the harm immediately. If you want to call this action an act of revenge, all right. But consider that it is only self-preservation that has here put its rational machinery into motion, and that in the last analysis, one does not think at all of the harming person in such a case, but only of oneself. We act that way without any wish to do harm in return, merely in order to get away with life and limb. Time is needed when, instead of concentrating on oneself, one begins to think about one's opponent, asking oneself how one can hurt him the most. This happens in the second type of revenge, reflection on the other person's vulnerability and capacity for suffering in its presupposition. One wants to hurt. Protecting oneself against further harm, on the other hand, is so little a consideration for the seeker of such vengeance that he almost regularly brings about further harm to himself and quite often anticipates this in cold blood. In the first type of revenge, it was fear of a second blow that made the counterblow as strong as possible. Here we find almost total indifference to what the opponent will do yet. The strength of the counterblow is determined solely by what he has done to us. But what has he done? And what use is it to us if he now suffers after we have suffered on his account? What matters is a restoration, while the act of revenge of the first type serves only self-preservation. Perhaps we have lost, through our opponent, possessions, rank, friends, children. Such losses are not brought back by revenge. The restoration concerns solely a loss incidental to all these losses. The revenge of restoration does not protect against further harm. It does not make good the harm suffered, except in one case. If our honor has suffered from our opponent, then revenge can restore it. But this has suffered damage in every instance in which suffering 
has been inflicted on us deliberately. For our opponent thus demonstrated that he did not fear us. By revenge, we demonstrate that we do not fear him either. This constitutes the equalization, the restoration. The intent of showing one's utter lack of fear goes so far in some persons that the danger their revenge involves for them, loss of health or life or other damage, is for them an indispensable condition of all revenge. Therefore, they choose the means of a duel, although the courts offer them help in obtaining satisfaction for the insult. But they do not accept an undangerous restoration of their honor as sufficient because it cannot demonstrate their lack of fear. In the first type of revenge, it is a fear that strikes the counterblow. Here, on the other hand, it is the absence of fear that, as I have tried to show, wants to prove itself by means of counterblow. Nothing, therefore, seems more different than the inner motivation of the two ways of action that are called by one name, revenge. Nevertheless, it happens quite frequently that the person seeking revenge is unclear about what really induced him to act. Perhaps he delivered the counterblow from fear and in order to preserve himself, but later, when he has time to think about the point of his injured honor, he convinces himself that he avenged himself for his honor's sake. After all, this motive is nobler than the other one. Moreover, it is also important whether he believes his honor to have been injured in the eyes of others, the world, or only in the eyes of the opponent who insulted him. In the latter case, he will prefer secret revenge. In the former, public revenge. Depending on whether he projects himself strongly or weakly into the soul of his opponent and the spectators, his revenge will be more embittered or tamer. If he lacks this type of imagination entirely, he will not think of revenge at all, for in that case, the feeling for honor is not present in him and hence cannot be injured. Just so, he will not think of revenge if he despises the doer and the spectators of the deed because they, being despised, cannot accord him any honor and hence also cannot take it away. Finally, he will forgo revenge in the not unusual case in which he loves the doer. To be sure, he thus loses honor in his opponent's eyes and perhaps thus becomes less worthy of being loved in return. But even foregoing all such counterlove is a sacrifice that love is prepared to make if only it does not have to hurt the beloved being. That would mean hurting oneself more than this sacrifice hurts. Thus, everybody will revenge himself unless he is without honor or full of contempt or full of love for the person who has harmed and insulted him. Even when he has recourse to the courts, he wants revenge as a private person. But besides being a member of society who thinks further and considers the future, he also wants society's revenge on one who doesn't honor it. Thus, judicial punishment restores both private honor and the honor of society, which means punishment is revenge. Indubitably, it also contains that other element of revenge which we prescribed first, 
insofar as society uses punishment for its self-preservation and deals a counterblow in self-defense. Punishment desires to prevent further damage. It desires to deter. Thus, both of these so different elements of revenge are actually tied together in punishment, and perhaps this is the main support of that above-mentioned conceptual confusion by virtue of which the individual who revenges himself usually does not know what he really wants. Dreams On the rare occasions when our dreams succeed and achieve perfection, most dreams are bungled. They are symbolic chains of scenes and images in place of a narrative poetic language. They circumscribe our experiences or expectations or situations with such poetic boldness and decisiveness that in the morning we are always amazed at ourselves when we remember our dreams. We use up too much artistry in our dreams and therefore often are impoverished during the day. Tourists. They climb mountains like animals, stupid and sweating. One has forgotten to tell them that there are beautiful views on the way up. Too much and too little. All men now live through too much and think through too little. They suffer, though, at the same time from extreme hunger and from colic and therefore become thinner and thinner no matter how much they eat. Whoever says now, I have not lived through anything, is an ass. End and goal. Not every end is the goal. The end of a melody is not its goal. And yet, as long as the melody has not reached its end, it also hasn't reached its goal. A parable. How to have all men against you. If anyone dared to say now, whoever is not for me is against me, he would immediately have all men against him. This does our time honor. Positive and negative. This thinker needs nobody to refute him. For that, he suffices himself. Way to equality. A few hours of mountain climbing turn a villain and a saint into two rather equal creatures. Exhaustion is the shortest way to equality and fraternity, and liberty is added eventually by sleep. Not to wish to see too soon. As long as one lives through an experience, one must surrender to the experience and shut one's eyes instead of becoming an observer immediately, for that would disturb the good digestion of the experience. Instead of wisdom, one would acquire indigestion. From the practice of wise men To become wise, one must wish to have certain experiences and run, as it were, into their gaping jaws. This, of course, is very dangerous. Many a wise guy has been swallowed. A Testimony of Love Somebody said, About two persons I have never reflected very thoroughly. That is the testimony of my love for them. How one tries to improve bad arguments some people throw a bit of their personality after their bad arguments, as if that might straighten their paths 
and turn them into right and good arguments, just as a man in a bowling alley, after he has let go of the ball, still tries to direct it with gestures. When taking leave is needed. From what you would know and measure, you must take leave, at least for a time. Only after having left town, you see how high its towers rise above the houses. Opinions and Fish Possessing opinions is like possessing fish, assuming one has a fish pond. One has to go fishing and needs some luck. Then one has one's own fish and one's own opinions. I am speaking of live opinions, of live fish. Others are satisfied if they own a cabinet of fossils, and in their heads, convictions. Death The certain prospect of death could sweeten every life with a precious and fragrant drop of levity. And now you strange apothecary souls have turned it into an ill-tasting drop of poison that makes the whole of life repulsive. Remorse Never give way to remorse, but immediately say to yourself, that would merely mean adding a second stupidity to the first. If you have done harm, see how you can do good. If you are punished for your actions, bear the punishment with the feeling that you are doing good, by deterring others from falling prey to the same folly. Every evildoer who is punished may feel that he is a benefactor of humanity. Don't touch. There are terrible people who, instead of solving a problem, bungle it and make it more difficult for all who come after. Whoever can't hit the nail on the head should please not hit it at all. Dying for the truth We should not let ourselves be burnt for our opinions. We are not that sure of them, but perhaps for this, that we may have and change our opinions. <laughs>